0: Hey, very quickly, this is Brock Wilbur. Uh, just dropping in to say we've been gone for a couple of months from the show. Uh, I've been producing Majority 54 for Crooked Media, uh, and then uh, some health issue stuff for both me and Viv, uh, so the show is coming back now. Uh, we were even going to record sort of a Bring You Up to Speed episode here uh, to announce the season two, and now uh, Viv is sick again, and uh, we're also traveling at the same time, so... In an episode or two, we'll fill you in on everything. Uh, Until then, here's our most recent episode, and thank you for listening, and welcome back to the show. Welcome to Missouri Loves Company. I'm Brock Wilbur.
1: I'm Vivian Kane.
0: And this is our podcast about living in Missouri and trying to fight the good fight, and then just uh, generally meeting cool people. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've been to too many movies lately, uh, which was not a problem that I thought I was going to have uh, in Kansas City. There's a lot of critic screenings, uh, and and in L.A., the cost of parking, getting to a movie, and maybe having a drink there was sort of astronomical.
1: Well, also to go to critic screenings in L.A., like you have to you have to be on so many people's good lists and good sides uh-huh. and contact so many different. PR firms here there's one and we get to go to everything.
0: So we've been going to a lot of things and then outside of that just getting to a theater in the afternoon or something is much easier than it was before so like an eight dollar uh, draft house ticket uh, so I've just been seeing like three movies a week all of a sudden in theaters and that's uh it's different than anything I've ever done before. I don't remember ever ever having this period. so anyway both upgrade and hotel Artemis are films set in the near future. Uh, with uh, a lot of violence and a lot of Tarantino-esque dialogue, and uh, it was a good week for me.
1: <laughs> it's funny, we haven't talked about this, actually, because you recommended Hotel Artemis. I was sick last week, so I couldn't go to that screening, and um, I have not had your opinion uh, backed up by a lot of people. Others have convinced me not to see that garbage movie. Who? Princess. Okay. <laughs> My co-worker, whose opinion I very much trust. <laughs> I also
0: trust Princess's opinion. <laughs> mm.
1: Anyway... Let us know what you thought of Hotel Artemis. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I hope that that's the first round of real comments we get on the podcast. Yeah.
1: This is now a Hotel Artemis podcast.
0: The Three stars. Not for the podcast. Podcast five stars. Three stars for Hotel Artemis. Uh, anyway, uh, we are finally back in the swing of things. Uh, and our guest tonight is... Edgar Palacios. Good
2: job. Thank you.
0: You did it. That's the first time we've ever done it right <laughs> here on on the old old show Terrence, no edits tonight. It's going to be an easy one.
1: Terrence, take the night off.
0: Uh, Edgar, what do you do?
2: A little bit of everything. I actually am struggling and figuring out what it is that I do. Um, I say that I'm a nonprofit consultant. I work with a lot of different nonprofits doing fundraising, marketing, communications. A lot of special projects. A lot of a lot of a lot of stuff.
0: Edgar it really does uh, – this is his thing. He uh, is on the board of just like every uh, nonprofit across the spectrum of things. He knows everyone in the nonprofit space but also has a very uh, world-weary uh, appreciation for this sort of career path because you often tell people,
2: don't do this work. Absolutely. Uh, it's terrible work.
0: <laughs> go work corporate somewhere, make a lot of money, Write and then checks. donate it. Yes,
2: absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's thankless work if you're doing it right. Um you know, there are a lot of missions, a lot of things to support, a lot of good missions, a lot of bad missions out there. And um, fundraising and making sure that you're running a nonprofit like a business, like a for profit uh, corporation, um, can be difficult. So I'm, it's a lot of work, is all I'm saying. Probably no different than any other job out there, but um, you get paid less. You, uh,
0: uh, you're friends with my sister. Uh, when she first got out here, she was working uh, at a, a dental nonprofit. Uh, Smiles and, Change
2: Lives. Yes. That was my first nonprofit, believe it or not. Oh,
0: fantastic.
2: So we did not cross paths there, but um I remember my time at Smiles Change Lives.
0: Uh and it just uh used to drive my dad up the goddamn wall because good Christian dude loves loves volunteering, loves helping people. But when it came to my sister, he's like, you need to work somewhere that you make actual money. Yes. Like uh and it's just like okay, yeah, that's that's a problem in nonprofit. And when she was leaving that job, uh, she was interviewing at a church uh, and my dad was like, I do want you to go to church, but I do not. And like the the salary that they were offering her was basically like five grand a year for full-time work. It was <laughs> ostensibly supposed to be for like some old person that doesn't have anything to right. do right now. But it was also like a social media job. And I was like, who, who are you going to get for this? This is not a...
2: <laughs> Probably some pretty qualified people, honestly. That sounds like a decent salary.
0: So... <laughs> <laughs> So you got started at Smiles. Uh, what what drew you to nonprofit work?
2: Oh, man. Um, I had a good friend at the time who, well, had a good friend at the time who was working there, um, and there was an office coordinator job available. Um, went and, I, and I went and interviewed for it. I had an MBA at that time. or just recently graduated with my MBA, and they told me that I was overqualified. Um, my boss there, who's still a great friend, I, I don't know how I, it was the first time I kind of realized that I kind of, I know how to spin things really well. And so I said, you know, I may have an MBA, but I've never done this work before, so I won't be as qualified as others. So please pay me $9 an hour and we'll get started. This is great. Um, I was running away from corporate world. I actually was working at a local grocery store um, as an assistant manager and was working probably 60 hours a week in the evenings, um, cause that's, you know, you, you get better schedules by seniority. Mm. So I finally broke down. It was one night I was stocking asparagus cans, cans of asparagus. Um, or maybe it was green beans. I can't remember anymore, but it was midnight and I was facing making sure that all my cans look good. And I said, my parents didn't come to this country for me to just do this. And so that kind of started my inspiration on finding a better, more fulfilling job. Um, one that I could actually go out on the evenings and have fun. And, Um, also have a life on weekends, which is very important to me after going to school for so many years and not doing that. So, yeah.
1: Sorry, I'm trying to stifle my cough. Oh, okay. I tried to cue
0: Viv for a question (laughs) instead. Oh, you are watering at the eyes. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) if Viv disappears at any point. It's because she's stifling a cough. She is
2: probably watering at the eyes because my story is so moving. It was really emotional. Speaking
0: of moving stories, uh, you, you've recently gone through a divorce,
2: Oh, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, that's yeah. a fun one. Well, it,
0: it it's it's really fascinating because I, I've never seen somebody uh, rebound uh, in such a way where, like, it seems like you're suddenly living your absolute best life, and uh, it is uh, you have changed physically in the last year. You have changed. Jobs. I have. I've lost
2: uh, eighty plus pounds. I think wow. at this point, um, so I'm no longer fat. But I also feel like I am fat still, which is a <laughs> very different world to be in. Um, I am living my best life, I think. Marriage can be oppressive sometimes, and that's just an honest statement. It has nothing to do... Tell me about it. (laughs) It has nothing... I'm
1: kidding. (laughs) Stifle that cough. I mean, tell me about it, because that is not my experience at all. (laughs) Nice.
2: Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, I don't know if rebound is the right word. I think that I've had a lot of time over the last couple of years think about what it is that I want to do and how I want to live my life. Um, I'm just trying to do good in the world. I think that doing good and, and just being true to who you are and being um, just conscious about what the the decisions you're making and the actions that you're taking, that really can open up some doors and, you know, I don't know. I'm just. I've been very blessed for the last couple of years as well. Throughout the tumultuous process that is a divorce, the conscious. How
0: does conscious uncoupling? Yes, it yeah. was conscious
2: and you know also unconscious. Um, <laughs>
0: we signed the papers in our sleep. We really, you know,
2: that those papers take a long time to sign. You think mm-hmm. the divorce process could be a lot quicker? Um, so I don't recommend divorce to anybody. But if you if you do it, get it done quickly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What uh? What do you love about Kansas City? What makes this Ooh. city the the one that you're sticking in?
2: I've been here um, since 2004 when I w- went to UMKC. So prior to living in Kansas City, I spent some time in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is two hours south of St. Louis. Um, it's a bastion a bastion of diversity and inclusion over there. I'm just kidding. That's okay. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, That's one of those places
0: that the Democratic Party has completely given up on. <laughs>
2: Probably, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't remember being a Democrat back then, because I don't think that was an option. Um, <laughs> and then before I did that, I actually spent my high school years, my formative high school years in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Prior to that, I lived in Spokane, Washington, um, three years, and then prior to that, I was in Miami, Florida. Um, Miami, Florida was interesting to me, now that I think about it, you know, from from this perspective. I didn't know that I was Latino or different or in in any way, right? Everybody spoke Spanish, or it was just so multicultural, and and, and I was just one of many. Uh-huh. Um, probably sixth grade when I moved to Spokane, Washington, is when I realized that uh, I was Mexican by everybody else's standards, <laughs> uh, even though I'm not Mexican. But you know, that was like the only word that they could describe me with. Um. Anyways, going to Cape Girardeau, same kind of, same thing, right? It was a smaller town, right. Uh, I wouldn't say backwards, there's a lot of great people there, um, but not necessarily exposed to a world like Miami. Um, But coming to Kansas City, I wanted to go as far away as possible from my parents and still pay in-state tuition. Mm -hmm. So UMKC sounded like a good place. I got a music scholarship or two, some academic scholarships, um, and I stayed here. I met my ex-wife at the time, so freshman year, we met when I was 18, 18 which is a uh, part of the problem because, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, I say now you're way too young to, to like Not a fully commit. formed, right, not fully formed but you think, fully formed. You, you think yeah. you are. Yeah. I mean, you really do think you are. Um, and you know, we, we just stuck it out through college. We did things what we, th- you know, the right way. I would say, you know, like we graduated, then we got married, then we had our first kid. Um, and yeah, but I mean, anyways, so what do I love about Kansas City? Everything, Gotcha. You know, um, it's, it took me a little bit to love Kansas city because I had to get used to it. You know, back then there wasn't all the development that there is now. There wasn't as a lot of excitement. Um, I, at least I don't recall, um, it being as exciting as it is. Um, I see definitely a lot more opportunity now, um, to kind of connect with different people. It, it just seems a little bit more diverse, a little bit more energetic. Um, I like being downtown, um, That that makes me love Kansas City even more, that there's that kind of urban feel to it. Um, But I also have really enjoyed how small it is in terms of people. Um, I think I know a lot of people. There's a lot more people to know, but I feel like I have a really great network. um, And I don't think I could have this kind of experience anywhere else in in the country, if that makes sense. So I don't think I would be... um, or have or just know some really cool people if I were I don't know in Atlanta or not I may have a closer group of people that I would talk to but I feel like I have a very diverse network of folks that I constantly engage with um and that thanks Kansas City honestly like it, I think it's the, it's that's part of the greatness of being here
1: what is your experience like in regard to what you were talking about about like your connection to a city being a Latino person in that city
2: Man, so that is that's a that's a great question. So, you you know, when I was here in 2000, when I got here in 2004, um, I didn't really know how to connect to that to that community, to the Latino community, my community, I should say. Um, and I was really focused on that. You know, I think as a Latino in Kansas City, you're typically one or two of the only people in the room, you know, with, amongst all your white friends. Um, and that's just the experience that you get used to. Um, and so for the probably the, the there's also not a lot of Latinos going into music, going and get opera degrees at UMKC. That's <laughs> a weird thing. Um, not a very different, we
0: seem to be meeting an overwhelmingly number, an overwhelming number of opera majors. Wait, is, that from you, is that what you, is that
1: what you studying? Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> so
2: the conservatory of music and dance, um, <laughs> was a really interesting experience huh. for me, but we can talk about that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, but being Latino, you know, like after I graduated from college, um, my, my, my boss at the time at smile strange lives actually connected me to, um, uh, a local guy here who's running a local chamber. um, who's Latino. We were part of Young Latino Professionals, which is a program of the Hispanic Collaborative, um, which is the sister organization to the Hispanic Chamber. Um, I got involved um, and man, that really opened my eyes to the Latino community in Kansas City. So I got affiliated with, you know, Guadalupe Centers and Maddie Rhodes and all the other like Latino serving organizations in town. Um, Got to see people who look like me be professional and, you know, have ambition. And that was really inspiring for me. And so I love to be a part of that room or be in that room and be a part of that energy. Um, it's a small community. Um, we're growing and there are a lot of pockets that I still don't kind of, I don't network in yet. Um, we're growing in the Northeast. We're growing in Olathe. We're growing in Shawnee Mission West, um, a little bit of North Kansas city. So there are pockets of Latinos that are are, are up and coming and, and growing in the city, but connecting us is really hard to do for some reason. Um, we're still not as, um, yeah, we're still not as connected as we we could be in this community so there was a very there was a uh, there's a uh, like a line of demarcation I think between 2011 so after 2011 I got really involved in the Latino community or at least I, I got to experience it and 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 driving it prior to that I didn't, I didn't know that it existed hmm. Um, and it's only because I was busy you know going to UMKC and back home UMKC back home so there wasn't there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to go and explore that way and I was also probably just nervous to go out and explore by myself. Oh, and I was in a committed relationship. Oh, and you know, a lot of other barriers there. <laughs> so um Yeah, but I it's a it's a great town. I'm a I'm a huge fan of Kansas City. I call it home. My two kids were born here, so you know, that's always gonna be a connecting point to me. Sometimes I dream about just running away and going somewhere else. Um but I always like flying back into, you know, MCI and seeing the Sprint Center from the airplane and being like, oh, I know where that is. That's mm-hmm. cool, so.
0: It's an amazing thing to fly in here after having to de- deal with LAX for the last 10 years of my life where you can just, uh, you check in at the gate for your flight like like people yeah. did back in Mad Men times and everyone wears a suit uh, <laughs> and then you get off the plane and you're just at the street again. And
1: Yeah, getting to your plane is, it takes literally five minutes.
2: I feel like I had that same experience in San Diego though. Hmm. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That's like, well, just
0: because everyone in San Diego is so
2: chill. So
1: chill. So yeah. chill. You just walk right past them.
2: Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why opera? Oh, I don't know. That was, ter- <laughs> that was a terrible decision on my end. Um, I was good. At, I wasn't really good at a lot of things in high school. So I think I was pretty smart. Brain, uh, book smart.
0: I thought um, you were about to say, and that's why I joined the opera team. <laughs>
2: There are no opera tapes. <laughs> I, I was waiting to hear about what a high
0: school competitive uh, It's opera called t- choir.
2: It's Glee? called choir. It's not Glee Club. I don't, that was, you know, that, that was an innovation that happened way after my time. Um, but choir, yeah, I was good at singing. Uh, I could read music without trying too hard. And uh, it just came naturally. Now, I'm a terrible singer. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a terrible musician. I did not belong at the conservatory. Um I don't know how I got in, how I auditioned, but they let me in, and so I was surprised, but hey, I went with it. Um, as I, an
1: opera singer?
2: As an opera... Well, as a, as a vocal performance major, right? And so vocal Isn't performance... Isn't that a singer? It is, yeah. Okay. But I just thought it was terrible. Like, maybe it was a little self-esteem, low confidence, whatever it was. I just <laughs> thought it was terrible. Um, and actually, my sophomore year, they had what they call a barrier jury. So at the end of your sophomore year, you go in and you do a... You memorize... I don't know. I forget how many songs. Um, but... It's a pass fail, right? Okay. So, I just assume I'm gonna fail, and I'm okay with that because at that point in time, I'm like, "That's great." That actually just forces me to pick a different major, and it's not my fault. You know, it's my. You know, <laughs> it's like it's just it's just what I have to do.
0: I could forever say it was somebody else's <laughs> fault. Right? I could play,
2: I could you know pass and and be bitter about it. <laughs> um, and fortunately and unfortunately, um, they passed me. Um, so I, oh. the the quickest way out of college at that point in time was to go through with the major and just finish it out. <laughs> um, but I graduated with some really great people or, or who are phenomenal musicians who were like really invested in their craft of music, right? They just loved it. Mm. And they were willing to spend thousands of dollars to go on audition and be rejected. And I was not willing to do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was more willing to like, you know what, I'm going to go find a decent job somewhere. Um, I looked in the newspaper classifieds back then, 2004, that was...
1: No uh, opera jobs in the classifieds? Believe
2: it or not, when I graduated, Mm -hmm. actually, sorry, 2004, that's 2008. um, When I graduated in 2008, the economy was starting to crash. (laughs) And so, we couldn't really find a decent job for an opera singer out there. Weird. um, Without, you know, being a server or being a server or, yeah, that...
0: Or. In, in 08, I just moved to Los Angeles to pursue my writing career just mm-hmm. as the writer's strike hit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 2008 was great for every one of our generation. Timing,
2: <laughs> timing really sucked. <laughs> um,
1: Is that when I decided to go back to school? I think it was.
2: <laughs> it was, I mean, what for me listen the people who are gifted in music and who work really hard even if they're not as gifted right but you know they had talent and they work hard to do it
1: and the hustle and the hustle
2: phenomenal but you know i'd rather be a patron now like this is this is why i'd be like if if you're not going to work in non-profit don't work in non-profit Mm -hmm. go write a check i'd rather write a check for supporting other artists or musicians and and whatnot and, and be involved that way than actually having to get on stage and like form that's
1: how I am now too I spent my whole life as a theater actor there was never anything else I wanted to do and then it was like a it was like a switch just flipped I just yeah. burned out while I was in grad school and now I just want to go support the kind of theater that I used to want to do like or, good, she, or she wants to be theater. on the board yeah I mean in some in any yeah. way like in the audience boards once I have money someday like be a patron and that Kids way. in your
0: early 30s, you'll stop wanting to pursue your dreams and instead pursue board. <laughs>
1: it's this actually is,
2: not not a, this is not a bad idea. This is not giving up on your <laughs> dreams podcast. <laughs> you can influence a lot on a yeah. board, right? You can actually, you can create change on a board.
1: I still have a lot of opinions about theater and what kind of theater I think should exist in the world. So, yeah, I mean, finding different ways to make an influence on that. I can't that. think of
0: a theater production we've left where you didn't tell me all the things that you would have done better. And I think yeah. on a. So bo- many
1: are just so boring. <laughs> boring theater is worse than bad theater. At least make bad theater.
2: At least. <laughs> is that like a euphemism for sex? Is that what you were saying? Like, no, but yeah, it will be go make now. Some bad theater. <laughs> yeah. It's a terrible production.
1: Curtains up.
0: I don't know if you saw. Uh, rudy giuliani trying to downplay his affair this week
2: i have not ca- that was in
1: bad theater yeah
0: a couple of months ago his wife divorced him and what was coming out this week was that uh especially after he's been uh talking so much shit. is that his
1: cousin wife
0: no no no. that was his first wife oh, Okay. cousin uh <laughs> yeah after talking so much shit on stormy daniels and what a terrible ethical person he is which also like uh daniels's lawyer keeps being like you know what an IP address is? Like mm-hmm. you if you're saying you've never looked at porn, I believe that we can prove that that's <laughs> incorrect, Mr. Giuliani. Uh but Rudy was cheating on his wife uh this year with a with a married woman uh, and uh the page 6 story about it was that he took her up to this fancy uh like getaway hotel and uh his big request that for the staff was that they load up The Godfather part one and two in his private screening room where he hung out with her. And later he was like, when the press was pushing him on it, he's like, I never slept with that woman. There's no proof. We just hung out in my room and watched The Godfather. And I was like, wait, 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 already there's inconsistencies. Was it just The Godfather or was it The Godfather part one and two? Anyway, (laughs) I want to call sex uh, private screening of The Godfather's part one and two now. Like that's just such a good rolls off the tongue (laughs)
1: Married life is weird. <laughs> it is weird.
0: It's a private screening. Also, like, he was... I was, he was wondering in, how
1: you were going to tie that story back to what we were talking about. He
0: was in charge of the Southern District uh, of New York in the 80s when they were going after the mob families. That dude knows the Godfather films already. Like, he definitely
1: That's doesn't need to
0: watch them again. I just want to get away. I want to close the blinds. I want to watch... At least six hours of stuff that I can claim that that's what I was doing.
2: <laughs> I love America. I love America, too. You know, I.
1: I'm so glad we made it great again.
2: We didn't. in <laughs> <fact>. <laughs>
0: You you looked so defeated.
1: Yeah, I looked really sad. <laughs> you know,
2: so people keep saying or, you know, I hear that Trump is the 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 response, right? The course correction from what Obama did and all the other stuff. And I don't necessarily believe that anymore. I feel like it's a little bit more fatalistic. I don't know if that's the right word, but I think it's the beginning of the end or the rise of people of color, I would say, um, taking over power and ownership of, or or minorities, but taking over the power, like structures and and whatnot. And I think that this could be the time where white people are just a little afraid of it. And uh, I don't know. It's, well, it, some
0: people are leaning into the idea that it's the end because it's a very Christian idea that like uh, it's it's part of the reason that a lot of Christians were behind uh, the move of the embassy into Israel, because once the war starts there, that's the beginning of the apocalypse in the Bible. Right. Uh, so like there are people that are leaning into Trump because they do genuinely hope that he's going to bring about the biblical apocalypse. Let's
1: just speed up this rapture. Let's get it yeah, moving. <laughs> ugh, been here.
2: I think he's doing listen, Trump is doing a phenomenal job. He just secured, um, he just he cured world peace, right? Yeah. He so cured I, world peace. Not cured, secured. <laughs> secured. Uh. He secured world peace, and I'll tell you, you know, today's the day after they met um, with Kim Jong Un, mm-hmm. right? So I just wanna I just wanna clearly say it on this podcast that world peace oh, yeah. achieved.
1: Yeah. By the time this is released, we're gonna release this in like a week. So I assume it's just gonna be rainbows and doves flying everywhere. Probably by then. not
2: rainbows. I oh. don't know.
1: Rainbows come out when there's world peace, and oh, there's world peace works? now. Yeah. Was,
2: were doves
0: one of the plagues in the yeah. Bible? <laughs> They're the
1: the plagues of world peace. Rainbows, <laughs> doves, first sons are doing real well. <laughs> first sons. Yeah.
0: Don Jr. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh wow. Winning, tired of winning. <laughs> That's a plague.
0: You should have more wine.
1: <laughs> your your
0: voice comes back to the more wine you drink.
2: Or the more you talk about Trump.
1: Uh.
0: When we first met, you brought up the fact that you have a genuine
2: respect for Kellyanne Conway. Oh my god.
1: I was hoping that wasn't gonna come up.
2: <laughs> you know, yes, I do. And the reason the reason why I know this this is weird and
1: Yes. She. she can, <laughs> yeah. She's
2: despicable, right? Yes. As a human being, but at the same time, like if I'm going to hire somebody to boldly claim things about me or to say that I'm the best person in the world, who better to deliver it than her, right? So if I was in the business of getting the best or possible press about any story, I mean, she's like a prof- she's like the consummate professional when it comes to this because she can go on any show and just blatantly lie. And people believe her. And that's an amazing quality, I think. (laughs) It's a terrible quality. Do people
1: believe her? Or does does she just tire everyone out? I
0: I see what you're saying. Because, like, uh, Sean Spicer... Everyone could tell that he was betraying everything he right. felt and believed every time he, he talked. Was but Kellyanne Conway
1: doesn't believe in anything.
2: So right. she has but nothing to betray. Th- I mean, exactly. It, like, we call I her would, Kelly I, I would
1: in no world call that a respectable quality. I don't say it's but respectable. I'd say it's
2: just impressive. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's... <laughs> It, is. it
1: would be impressive if it weren't so very unimpressive. Like, she is impressive in how much she commits to nothing. Well, and it's it's kind of <laughs> yeah. interesting that her
0: husband blogs so constantly yeah. about how much he fucking hates Trump, uh, which maybe in that household, that's just the outlet. She's like, here's all the things you can let out next time yeah. while, when I go into work. Like, maybe it's just the, the, the spigot it's, there for I that mean, relationship. I've
1: heard people compare it to acting. Like, clearly she doesn't... She, like... Tommy Laren and like so many Fox News people, Ugh. they clearly are playing roles to get fame and money and status and all these things. And so people compare them to actors a lot, but that's such a false comparison because it's 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 basically acting in a propaganda in a continuous propaganda film. So comparing it to acting in, like well they're just playing a role. It's harmless. It's not harmless. No,
2: it's definitely it's full. It's of harmful.
1: Yeah. Harm.
0: Oh, oh the the whole uh, winter line of of Barbie Goebbels. <laughs> Oh
2: my
1: god! I'm a Barbie gerbil. I'm a Barbie Warble. warble. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. I thought this was
2: a quality podcast.
1: <laughs>
2: quality uh, rhymes. There it is.
1: <laughs> so yeah,
2: yeah. I, honestly, I'm not a big fan of anybody. Well, I'm not a big fan of anybody who 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 continues to make the world a terrible place. Yeah. However. Oh, bold claim. So I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I will say that, you know, like, it's really, it's I don't know if it's disappointing. I don't know how to deal with it anymore. And so I don't know how I can create good or or, or be a source of good in our country right mm-hmm. now. Um, because there are genuinely, there are people who believe in Trump who are in terrible situations themselves who feel like he is the answer. Yeah. Um, now, whether I agree with that, he's the answer or not doesn't matter because these people are still in terrible situations and so how do you help those folks who may not know how to help themselves Mm -hmm. um in spite of what they believe right and Mm -hmm. you know but then i also think about how weird that is what if i'm in the wrong right like what if the way i think is wrong what if i'm the one who's like Pro- well, what's the, the matter with of- Kansas?
0: Like, yeah, right. there's so many people that have become invested against their own self-interest and don't know it.
1: I mean, liberals can't claim to be right about everything. That's absurd. Right. But there are a lot of people that are struggling and have been struggling. And the focus that uh, the white working class, especially in in like Central America, has gotten is just so disproportionate and have, like, really Donald Trump allowed scapegoating to be the solution yeah. to everything, like blaming immigrants, blaming people of color um, for those white, middle American, middle class, working class people. And it's but, just, but, I mean, we can't be, we're not right about everything, but we're not doing that.
2: <laughs> you know, what's what's weird, though, is like, I see a lot of folks in the majority in shock, you know, like, oh, I can't believe you said that. And, or, you know, what?
1: People weren't paying attention.
2: And, you know, that is, I think, the normal experience of a person of color across the country. Yeah. Right. Which is you hear these things time and time and again, whether your president is saying it or not, or whether, um, it doesn't have to be. It's like the banker who's not giving you the loan, or it's the person at McDonald's who's not going to give you the extra fries because you're a different person, right? And it, so his, his propaganda, his words, what he uses is not surprising and it's not different than what a lot of people hear every day elsewhere in the country yeah so some of it some of like the that shock and awe of like i can't believe he says mm-hmm. that it's like just you know go hang out in Haytime, missouri and like see what happens you know like that that is a legit those are legitimate comments that are that happen every day um and so i don't necessarily know if he's to, to, to fault for that i just think that he's he's just he's just willing to be public about it and and be an idiot quite honestly so
1: and and he's he's worked really hard to normalize that sort of thing and to to bring his his sorts of words and stances to the office of the president has really as i've seen it done a lot to uh like I said, normalize and, like, allow other people to say the things that maybe before they just would have thought. Like, I mean, the rise in actual Nazis going out and marching and... Or running uh, for
0: office right now. There are eight running on balance. And it's, (laughs)
1: it's not like people weren't... I don't know. Everyone that's surprised at the fact that there are still Nazis around, like, yes, it's surprising that they're out in public, but they were always there. People have always been... Racist as fuck. Like that didn't disappear after the 1960s or even after Obama took office. It's just, it was always there. And now suddenly they're feeling more confident. I'll
2: tell you my first experience with um, a Nazi like organization. So in Spokane, Washington, um, hopefully this is right and I'm not misremembering things.
1: Well, we can't prove you wrong. Well, so. I mean, <laughs> somebody
2: will. One of your listeners will. Um, it's either 6th or 7th grade the first time that I noticed it, but there was an organization called Aryan Nations um, off in Hayden, Idaho, I believe, um, which is a couple, uh, a couple, well, 20, 30 minutes north of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Anyways, these folks would come into town, um, or maybe their supporters were coming into town, and they would do a march. Um, and I remember being in sixth grade, being that young, never experiencing that, never understanding what that looked like. You know, going to Miami, there's like a Holocaust museum. You learn about um, the Holocaust and and what Jews suffered and throughout that time, there's and you know, history. six million. Right. You know, like, if only you
0: know, everyone could be as <laughs> progressive as Miami.
2: Right. But then you go to Spokane, Washington, and that's my first encounter, my first legitimate encounter with racist Nazis, and. That was traumatizing. You know, I, for the longest time after that, when my parents and I were out in public and, you know, we were going to the grocery store and they spoke in Spanish, I would ask them to stop because I was terrified for my life. I thought that they would somehow be selected or, you know, whatever, and something tragic would happen to them and because of them, me, right? So those are the experiences that still happen to these to this day. And I can't imagine like how much worse it can be, or it is um, for young folks of color, maybe immigrants that are coming into this country or their their children who are American, you know, but, um, and that's what they see. And so that's a very disheartening experience and a very traumatic experience for somebody like that. And that creates all sorts of other issues there. So uh, it's just, it you know this is not new to me. Um, unfortunately, what it is, it, if anything that I can disrespect the president for, um, outside of all the craziness, it's just his lack of professionalism. Quite yes, honestly, absolutely. <laughs> if he, he were... was
1: supposed to be a businessman, he convinced people he was a businessman.
2: And not, a great, no that, right? you know, not yeah. a great one at that. Right? Not a great one at that. It I at least be presidential, right? Mm-hmm. At yeah. least be presidential. Be a racist is get out, you know. Do whatever it but is that you need adult. to do. But be an adult. But also,
1: please don't be racist. Like I mean, if we can ask for two things,
2: I don't know if we can change him. And I, you know, I, I don't know if you know if racism is the function of his age or if it's the function of his privilege or what created him. Yes you know, and yes. Yeah. You know, but at least do your job right. Mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you know, like at least.
0: Please don't fart your way out of the room at the G G eight. Yeah. Right. Or show You're up seven. late. Like G7? at the end of the day, mm-hmm. like. Is it G7 now? Yeah, Russia's no yeah. longer there. Oh, right. But they're ab- he's advocating <laughs> yeah, Russia, for Russia to come he, back in. He spent most like of the G6. conference
1: trying to get yeah. the G8 back. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You
0: know. Sorry, that's why I was on it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and your experience is different than mine because in my small Kansas hometown, what would happen every year is that the KKK would announce that they were going to come do a parade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, the day of the parade, they wouldn't show up. Uh, and then they would say, we've rescheduled for this other date, and they would just keep it going forever so that people oh. in our newspaper were always talking about it, and then people were writing the letters to the editor to be like, I'm going to go fight him, and other people were like, well, they have a freedom of speech thing, so it it allowed them in small communities to just always be a part of the dialogue, even though they were never going to show up, and my dad was always like, it's just five dudes in a room somewhere just sending out these letters to people threatening to come, and they're never going to show up, but now we live in an era where... Uh, Reddit and and other and 4chan and these things do allow these people to organize in such a way where even if it's 100 people spread across the country, they'll all show up and then you have 100 people and then you have a march or you grew up in a place where everyone from their fucking bunkers in Idaho would come out and right. now it's time to like, I don't know, there's 40 of us. And then there was, uh, Lawrence had one a couple of weeks ago where people just showed up out of nowhere uh, and they claimed that the reason that they were there was that on Facebook that they had seen liberals post an event that they were going to march through uh, downtown Lawrence, uh, dragging the American flag? So a bunch of <laughs> the these dudes showed up <laughs> with, uh, with the Confederate flag. I was like, first of all, you're not respecting the right flag. Secondly, that event never existed, and in no way was anyone going to show up. So people in Lawrence were like texting me. I was like, do we, do we protest? Do we go? Do we just avoid it? Like I, I want to go and fight a Nazi, but like. It, we just didn't have time to prepare.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you ever prepare to fight a Nazi? I think that that's. Man, it's.
0: But the, th- but the line between that right? is also the line between in Shawnee Mission last week, Chris Kobach driving down the street mm-hmm. uh, in a parade for the city with uh, what is reported to be uh, a replica. But no one knows a machine gun mounted on the top of his vehicle and children started crying and everyone else was like, the fuck's wrong with you, Chris Kobach? Uh, but they're still still gonna vote for him again. Like he just loved gun, must love gun. <laughs> oh my goodness,
2: it's it is such a weird time, and I don't know. I always say that, but I can't. I can imagine like somebody like me, thirty years ago, forty years ago, saying, "Man, it is such a weird time." And
0: <laughs> what's with this Reagan? <laughs>
2: what's yeah, exactly? What does he do? Although, all right, let's talk about Reagan because Reagan <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> Is a very interesting figure in my life for a couple of different reasons. So my parents are a Republican. They're Mm. incredibly Republican. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've softened on their conservative views, but, you know, they're still there. Um, There was a
0: time where conservative ideals were something that I can understand how Mm -hmm. non-white people could get behind.
2: Maybe. I don't know. Um, But the only reason that they're Republicans is because they came to this country in 1981. And a few years later, they were given amnesty by Mr. Reagan, President Reagan, um, probably sometime in 84, somewhere around there. Um, And it cracks me up, you know, that that one gesture solidified their um, their commitment to ideals. And so they didn't vote for Obama. They didn't vote for Clinton. They didn't vote. You know, they voted for the other guys. Until and I always give him crap about it. I'm like, "What kind of people are you? You're my parents. You raised me. You, I thought you raised me with better values and, and you know and whatnot." And this time around, I gave him so much crap. I was like, "You see that voting record of yours that led to Trump becoming president?" <laughs> they get so upset. They're like, "He's not my president." I'm like, "Technically, he is, and he's also the leader of your party." Um,
0: How dare you tell me that my choices have
2: repercussions? Uh, <laughs> Man, so I give them a lot of crap, and it it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. You know that I have something to hold on over my parents. Other other than that, so. so let's
0: talk about the good that you do in the world. You're a part of so many organizations. Uh, what's the uh, What's the men's uh, recovery group that you're a part of? The men's oh, sorry, hold
2: on. Actually, so there's there's this organization called Welcome House. I'm actually not a part of it. I just hosted a table uh, as a table captain for it. Um, I ran into them when I was working at a different nonprofit organization and it was really interesting to me to see a group of men um, who were basically in recovery, right? They either have alcohol problems or drug problems and they're in a recovery um, uh, part of the state of their life Um, and going through my divorce and going through a low time in my life. I could understand how easily it would be to self-medicate, right? Whether with mm-hmm. alcohol or drugs or whatever, um, and so it kind of meant a lot to me that there was a group out there that, if I had gone through that, that I could turn to um, and, and potentially get helped by. Mm. Um, plus, you know, they help. They actually they helped me move out of my house. <laughs> so, crack, you know, like I called them to help me move out of my house, which was like the saddest day of my life. <laughs> actually, it wasn't sad as much. It was just like. I got these two two men from Welcome House who are working through their recovery, and you know I'm here relating to them because my life is falling apart. Um, now, by my, you know, but my choice, I own that. By my choice, because I was like, I'm, I'm, I need to, I need to start. I just need to redo my life. Um, and you know, I just bonded with these with these guys there as they were packing me up. You know, the day after Christmas, and oh my like, god. Well, I mean, at it, 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 the time it, it, it was what it was, but. Uh, they cracked me up. They kept me in good spirits about it. You know, they'd been divorced themselves or they had had some issues themselves. And so we, for that very like brief moment in time, you know, we were all, didn't matter what we looked like. Didn't matter what, you know, what our experiences were. We were all bonded by how life can sometimes kick you in the ass and you got to figure it out from, from, from that point forward. Um, So I did that once and then they moved me again. um, uh, 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 Some time after that, and i've always kept up with that organization but i was really impressed with what they do and you know i think for men um because of societal pressures and whatnot it's difficult to talk about emotions and it's difficult to talk about i guess feelings right is that the right word i don't know i don't know it <laughs> what are these? Uh, what are these things that, that make me make me think things um they're so muscles I, yeah they're called muscles they're <laughs> called muscles um but it, it it's just an amazing organization and so um it was probably one of the first organizations that one I supported just because like they just spoke to me in a different way. Um, their mission is, is, it's just incredible. And so seeing a group of men out there, um, trying to, trying to be better every day and, you know, working through finding jobs and finding housing and working through all their demons. And you know, that, that really spoke to me during that time because I I just felt like I was bonded, uh, by, by fire there with them. So, but I never went through the, like the whole you know, finding myself in booze or, or drugs, which is a blessing and then almost like man, I guess I missed out on something sometimes. Like look, yeah. well, I should have self medicated, right? You the know? fact
1: that you don't judge that you feel connected to the people who did, like I think that's that's kind of rare.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's so easy to be in those situations though. Like I think yeah. well one thing the nonprofit work has taught me is that we are not Different from the people who are requesting the services that, are, or that who right. are utilizing the services, you know we're You're one, one day away from one day <laughs> away from all of that, and you know it takes me back to this one class that I had when I was going to, to get my MBA in Rockhurst. and we were talking about um, taxes, and one guy in the classroom goes. I don't want to pay taxes. You know, I don't want roads. I don't want, you know, public goods and da 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 da, da. Was, I don't like, I want also, roads. I also
1: want to live in a world without roads and right. public goods. I want to say I don't
0: want roads with a gravelly voice. <laughs> yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, uh, it, it,
1: gravel in your voice, not on the road. Ooh. ooh wow.
2: Wow. Yes. <laughs> oh. Did it. Man, now you're going to make me think about something funny. Anyways. <laughs> um,
1: That's the cost of walking in this house.
2: But, you know, I think society, you know, I think – a good thing about society is if that you're living life right, you're able to recognize that you're no different than people on the street or people in with with all sorts of issues. Um, and there should be some social support systems in place um, to help you out, because we are all Republican, Democrat, you know, whatever. We, are, we all find those times in our lives, which are very difficult for us to overcome and so if we don't have those networks of support, then we get, you know, I mean, all the negative things that can happen. Look at all the different suicides that have happened recently and whatnot. It's like life is not easy. And if you don't have those support systems in place, you're not going to make it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why I like nonprofits. Now, I'm also very business minded and business oriented. And so I feel like no money, no mission. Cash is keen, keen kind of kind of person, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, I think a lot of people lead with their hearts, which is a great thing, but you need to have a little bit of business savvy as well to make sure that the dollars that you're, that are being bestowed upon you by the community or entrusted by uh, onto you by the community are spent well mm-hmm. and that you can continue your organization on moving forward. So I have a lot of other opinions on like the business side of nonprofits as well. Um,
1: well, people like you are important then.
2: I don't know. You know, I think that that's why we, we began this conversation like with struggling with like, what do I do? Right. And you know, I feel like I have a lot of advice. I also feel like I'm pretty young. Um, and so it's a weird little area for me. Like I'm not old enough to be smart in a lot of things. And then I'm also <laughs> not young enough to be dumb in a lot of things.
1: Well, I mean, y- you're, you're young enough to be a disruptor. It sounds like, <sighs> oh, cause you know, you need compassionate people in, in the for-profit world, just yeah, like you need business savvy people in the nonprofit world. Yeah. it, when, every, when everyone just sticks to their own groups, then no one really gets out ahead.
2: Disruption is so much fun. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think I do it in a, in a terrible way. I'm learning how to be better about this. Um, in social settings, like, I'm not always great at, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm I, I tend to, I'm very sarcastic as a person. <laughs> and so people tend to take that the wrong way. And I'm learning that. It, it's been a hard lesson for me to learn because I all I want to do is just make you feel uncomfortable. That's it. Like I'm in an uncomfortable environment. I just want to make you feel uncomfortable. And if you can laugh through that, I have so much respect for you Like immediately, right? And then I just want to be your friend. Um, there aren't enough devil's advocates in the nonprofit world. <laughs> right.
0: That was also a good movie, by the way. <laughs> oh, it is aged poorly. <laughs> Has it? Yeah, I tried to revisit recently and I was like, ah. <laughs>
2: I only recall that movie because it was sixth grade, and there was one scene where there was some nudity, and mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever encountered nice. nudity in a movie before. And so I was like, "Huh?" But then it turns like the the violence Pitt's into real fast. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah I don't not think interested. so. <laughs> no,
1: well, Al Pacino. Uh,
2: <laughs> yes, maybe at one point.
1: Still not interested. Maybe like, huh?
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> you have a type. <laughs>
1: Brock. Oh, yeah. that is so
2: sweet. You know, uh, I also get excited by people who love each other genuinely and mm-hmm. like uh, are, are... I just
1: want you to be uncomfortable and I want you to be in love.
2: Is that, <laughs> is that not life, right? Like I want you to be uncomfortable and in love at the same I like time. That. <laughs> uh,
0: so we end every podcast here by uh, going around and uh, letting everybody give a pop culture recommendation. Uh, something that you've seen recently or maybe something that you've always loved. Book... A movie, uh, an album, whatever it is uh, that uh, that you might uh, advise people to look into. Uh, I'm Brock Wilbur. I'm online at Brock Wilbur on Twitter and all the other places. Uh, we watched a double feature this week uh, that was uh, pretty feminist and brutal. Uh, one film was called Thoroughbreds. Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's it's very uh, Little Children esque. Uh, like it has chapters, like a book. Uh, and it's about female friendship and uh, being a sociopath. Uh, and it's uh, it's quite good. But we also watched a film called Revenge, uh, which is a first time film for a, uh, yes. for a French director. Uh, and right out of the gate, it's it's a sexual abuse revenge film, which uh, we were like, all right, we we'll, right, we'll wait to see what happens after that, because I most of the time, that's usually the film that we have no interest in saying. Uh, and this one becomes something so uh completely otherworldly like i've been thinking about individual shots from it for uh, a week and a half uh it's your your individual mileage may vary and if that's not your genre of thing that's hard but viv and i both just really love the film uh there is a lot of visceral stuff in it so you have to have a pretty strong stomach for it but uh From the soundtrack to the way that things are shot to some of these just choices that you're like, I don't think, I can't remember a film that I've seen like it in a very long time that I was just like, we're going to be talking about this Mm -hmm. for a long time to come. So that's uh, Revenge. Uh, It's uh, up on Amazon as well.
1: And and all VOD sites. And all VOD sites. Yeah, it takes the rape revenge trope of a genre and really subverts it from a, a female gaze in a way I've never seen before.
0: Vivian, where can people find you online and what's your recommendation? Um, You
1: can find me every day at themarysue.com, ranting about things, and occasionally on Twitter at Viv underscore Kane. Um... I am finally watching Killing Eve, which was a BBC show that when is now over. did you start over. this? I started it like months ago, and I've just—it's only like six or eight episodes. I've slowly been watching it. Um, it's hard to find in the U.S., but if you have access to the BBC, you can watch it. But Hulu picked it up to air towards the end of the summer, so bookmark it to wait on it. It's if you somehow haven't heard of it, it's. I mean, it's all the dark, complicated female characters we always want in shows with Sandra Oh and created by Phoebe Waller-Bridge who did Fleabag and who was also in Solo as the best character in that. Um, But just, it's uh, the best description of it that I read and I can't remember who it was, maybe someone on Vox or the Atlantic, uh, like people had been calling it a cat and mouse story, and someone described it as really more cat and cat, just like these two women hunting each other as one is an assassin and the other works for, not MI5, but whatever British Mm -hmm. CIA is uh anyway it's fantastic uh so it'll be up on hulu at the end of the summer or if you can somehow find it on bbc killing eve is great uh but also before that incredibles 2 is really great so yes that. yes it
0: is edgar where can people find you online and follow around your stuff
2: uh at ejpkc uh, i think that's my handle in most places um so um I'm, i tend to be very active on social media and then sometimes i don't mm-hmm. um <laughs>
0: Bursts, bursts are good. Bursts, think, bursts are, are good, health. right?
2: <laughs> Maybe. Um, wow, you guys are really impressive with the stuff that you're watching. Oh. You know, I had to think about it. The Lion King? No. Um, <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> I don't know if you know it. It's, it's a film Tell that came out. That. It's, it's about a king who's a who's a lion. Wow. Um, incredible. Um, actually, my girlfriend and I have been watching some Spanish um, dramas. So Celia about the story about Celia Cruz and. Oh, cool. Um, it's been really, that's been really fun to kind of connect with and, you know, listen to the, the good old Celia Cruz music and, um, seeing her story with Better Knight Night and other, other fun folks out there.
1: Where do you watch that? Uh,
2: Netflix. Oh. Netflix is a, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's Tell a, us about that. It's a, you could watch things <laughs> online, <laughs> streaming. It's crazy. Um, also, uh, <laughs> uh, Shout out to Celia. Shout out to uh, uh, La Reina del Sur, which is about Teresa Mendoza, the um, female drugs are drug kingpin. Um, fun story. A lot of people die. Um, and then the new Dynasty.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Huh. It really teaches me about white culture. Fun, oh wow! Yeah, I love that. The Din- <laughs> dynamics of privilege and uh, what it is to be white in America. Nice. Dynasty. I want to learn about that.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I feel like you
0: should. Wow. Really tap into my roots
1: <laughs> of
0: of money. I need it's to learn
1: just... more about my culture. <laughs> you know, I, do. I feel like I'm not represented enough. I,
2: I hear that complaint often. I, yeah. I, can, I feel your pain there. Why
1: isn't everything about me?
2: My favorite though is that there are two Latino characters in there and they couldn't be any more stereotypical, so excited about that great i can't wait to learn the wrong
0: things about your culture (laughs) 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 that's been missouri loves company thank you guys for listening please rate review share with a friend we really appreciate you guys listening
1: bye bye
2: adios